Emma and welcome to the Hopes and Dreams podcast. The journey to parenthood isn't always easy. For many, fertility can be one of life's greatest challenges. And in this podcast, we'll be talking to people with all different types of journeys, including stories of loss and grief, but also, and most importantly, of strength and hope. We'll talk openly about different experiences to provide you with advice, support and coping strategies and hopefully some comfort and to help you feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by my friend Rhiannon, but it's going to be a toughie. It's a very difficult subject to talk about neonatal loss and losing a baby shortly after welcoming them into the world. But it's so important that we do talk about this And we also celebrate the life of these special babies that may not have lived in the world for very long, but are part of you forever, and you love forever. So Rhiannon's going to be talking today about how she's navigated the loss, and also we're going to be celebrating Harris and talking about how amazing he was. Thank you, Emma, and thank you for inviting me to speak on your podcast uh, baby loss is such an important topic and it really does need spoken about more. As it stands, there's just not enough support or discussion for those that are going through that journey. Um, it's, as you'll kind of understand, it's a difficult topic to speak about. However, I really hope by sharing Harris's story, it may offer some support to those that find themselves on similar journeys to what I went through. Exactly. And I think to you know celebrate we, Harris, because as you'll explain later in the podcast, He was a really special little boy. Rhiannon, let's rewind a little bit to almost the start of, you know, this story. I have a really strong memory of seeing a photo of you and Kevin, your husband, on Facebook. And I I knew you were pregnant and that you were expecting your first baby. And you had your bump and you were wearing sort of, I think, Halloween t-shirts, I remember. And you both looked so happy and, you know, just really expectant parents. Did you think everything was fine at that time? Were there any concerns that you had? Or did you just think it was a you know a normal pregnancy? Yeah, do you know, I actually know exactly which photo you're talking about. So it was a pregnancy t-shirt that had a skeleton on it. And um, where your bump sits, there was a skeleton of a little baby. And I remember seeing the t-shirt before I even fell pregnant and knew that I had to have it as soon as I got pregnant. And so I did. Um, so that, that photo is actually really special to me. It was actually the last photo that I have of Harris as a bump. And it's one of the few photos that I do have of my bump. Um, at that point, pregnancy was something I took for granted. I actually didn't know anyone that had suffered any kind of loss. Um, I didn't know anyone that suffered from miscarriage or um, lost during late maternity uh, pregnancy or even neonatal loss either. So I completely took my pregnancy for granted and I just didn't take many photos, which was actually something I then went on to regret. You asked whether at that point we knew anything was wrong. Um, So that photo was taken on Halloween in 2016 um, and I was 28 weeks pregnant. So it was taken the day before um, the day that Harris was delivered, which Harris was delivered on on a Tuesday and that day was a Monday. And if we were to rewind back to the Friday beforehand, that was when things started to change for us. So up until that point on the Friday, everything was completely normal for us. We had what we thought was a healthy pregnancy. Um, I had no concerns whatsoever. We had, on that day, we had a scan booked in. So this was what was called a growth scan, uh, which they give to you at 28 weeks. And I had this because at my 12-week checkup, it was flagged that I was low risk for, um, or I had a hormone that was considered low. And nothing else had been flagged up at all. So there wasn't really much concern, just that they were giving me an extra growth check just to make sure that this hormone wasn't going to interfere with the birth um, birth weight of our baby. I'd also had a scan just a few weeks earlier as well, and nothing had been flagged up at this scan at all. So any issues with our baby was the last thing on my mind. Mm-hmm. Kev happened um, to be offshore at this point, so I actually went to the scan by myself. And this was something that we hadn't done before as well. Um, but like I said, I, I was excited, I was confident, I had no worries. Um, we went into the scanning room, 
and the sonographer Chris, she was quite quiet anyway and to be honest it didn't really put me at ease like I was quite used to having like bubbly chatty sonographers that were kind of excited with you um, I was also halfway through the pregnancy so I clearly had a bump um, as well so it wasn't one of like a, an initial scan which as you know isn't always good news um, so I was expecting the sonographer to just be like a little bit happier and maybe put me a bit more at ease but unfortunately she wasn't which I think it just put me on edge a little bit um, and she was doing the scan and she stayed quiet and she'd done a few more scans as well and then she took some photos and said that she was a bit concerned about some fluids that she was seeing on her baby's tummy and I, I didn't know what this meant at all at this point um, I just kind of like looked at her for a few more answers and she said that she was going to speak to a consultant to get his opinion and then she'd be back in a few minutes and hopefully she'd be back with a consultant uh, this didn't actually turn out to be the case. The consultant wasn't actually able to see me at that point. But he did say that he would book me in on the following Tuesday and he would do a thorough scan. Um, and so at this point, I didn't really have any answers. I asked the sonographer, she could tell me a little bit more about what was going on. And she was unable to give us any more answers as well. Um, she said that the fluid could resolve itself um, or it could be something a little bit more serious. She also asked as well what my risk of Down syndrome was um, when we had a 12-week checkup. And we were considered low risk. We were one in 100,000, which her reply to that was, well, someone needs to be that one. Um, so, I, I mean, I was completely shell-shocked. This is not something you expect to hear in a scan. Um, and like I said, I was by myself. So I, I didn't really know how to feel, to be honest. I was pretty upset. The the sonographer she wasn't really given much away as well so I didn't know whether I should be worried whether I was completely overreacting by being upset um, and I also remember walking through and this was actually something you mentioned in your episode one about kind of walking back through past um, couples who are waiting to go in for a scan and you're so aware of how happy they are but how upset you are as well so I remember walking out of the scanning room with my head down trying to go through the the waiting room without making eye contact with anyone um uh, what also happened that day as well which was routine as part of the scan is I had a clinic appointment with a different consultant and at this point I did have um slight concerns and it was the only concerns we had and they were about me they weren't about the baby and what was happening was I started to develop swelling in my legs and I was also having a bit of difficulty passing urine. I knew that this could be symptoms of preeclampsia. And so I mentioned this to the consultant, but he checked out my legs and he said that, you know, it's just a pregnancy symptom and everything was pretty much brushed off. And I was told that I'd be checked again in two weeks. So although we obviously had some bad news at this point, I still wasn't too concerned I was upset but I wasn't too concerned about what was going on as both consultants seemed to be pretty relaxed about it. Oh, I mean how awful that you had to experience that with the sonographer you know being so very cold but you know also dismissive of you that's simply not okay like sometimes it's like you're in that situation when this baby is your everything and especially when it's your first baby you don't know what to expect with things that they they're telling you but even though you were hoping everything was going to be all right you must have just been so worried that things weren't quite normal or healthy what what happened after that exactly right with that and actually that's something um since that experience we've always fed back now about sonographers so if they've been really good we've, we've told them and um, because it makes such a difference even if you're having a good experience you still want them to be positive and happy and bubbly with you. And like I said, I just didn't know how to feel. I didn't know whether I should be worried or or whether I think was okay. But as it turned out, we went over the weekend. So Kev was sent back early from um, his offshore trip just so he could be with me as I was a bit concerned. And he was obviously a bit upset about it all as well. So we got through to the weekend. But on the Monday night... Um, which was Halloween, I started developing really severe headaches. And again, I knew this could be a warning sign of preeclampsia. And I'd taken paracetamol and they weren't doing anything. They wouldn't have an effect on the headache. And I, that was also a sign that it could be preeclampsia. Preeclampsia doesn't, the headaches associated with it don't always respond to paracetamol. 
uh, but when I woke up the next day, I actually felt fine. So this was pushed to the back of my head and I didn't bring it up when we went to the scan on the Tuesday in the morning. However, in hindsight, I really wish I did speak to the consultant about it. When we had the scan, um, Kev was with me this time and the scan was with the consultant and it was detailed. He had to look through um, our baby, kind of look at his heart, he checked everything for us and he did confirm that our baby did have high drops, which is the swelling. And so he was swollen in his tummy, his head and his testicles. Um, and when we asked what the next steps would be, he said that we'd be having scans every two weeks with the planned delivery of around a month earlier than his due date. Um, so at this point, we were obviously worried for our baby. But he wasn't able to tell us much more about how the swelling would affect our baby at all. Um, but as far as we were concerned, we thought two weeks was a pretty good time to have a next scan. It wasn't immediate. Uh, it wasn't immediate action. So again, although we were worried, we weren't massively concerned that anything was about to go wrong. Following that appointment, we went out and we decided we wanted to decorate our baby's nursery. We wanted to, to have his own room in our home. And we bought the car seat and just kind of went about the day. And then we had our routine community midwife appointment at 4 p.m. And it was here that everything really started to take a bit of a turn for us. So we went in and again, we, like, we were still a wee bit upset just from everything going on. Um, and a student was doing my urine test, which is just a routine urine test that you get done during pregnancy. And she was checking for protein and she noted that my protein levels were off the chart. So my midwife at the time was just like, oh, you know, that can't be, that can't be right. It's so high. Can you recheck? So she rechecked. She's like, no, look, listen, like these protein levels are really, really high. Um, so she took, my midwife took my blood pressure and this was also sky high. And um, at that point, she just phoned an ambulance and sent us off to the hospital with the blue lights on and sirens. Um, we didn't realise at the time that my blood pressure was so high that I was susceptible to seizure. We, me and Kev, so we kind of were in, in the ambulance. Um, in a way, I guess we were perhaps a bit in denial, a bit naive. I guess a lot of it was we were in shock. I thought they were overreacting, to be honest. At this point, I felt fine. I was no longer having any headaches. I felt completely normal. I just thought perhaps my blood pressure had spiked as a result of everything we'd been through that day in the last few days. Um, I thought they would take us to hospital and would just put us in a ward for a couple of nights and monitor me. And then just send me back home and I guess back to work and back to everyday life. Um, but unfortunately, that, that wasn't the case at all. So what happened was um, when we arrived at the hospital, the maternity hospital, they took us to the labour ward doors and they phoned someone and just left us outside the labour ward doors. And that was what really put us into shock. When you're six and a half months pregnant, you do not expect to be taken to a labour ward. Um, and the, at that point, I think we started realising actually this could be pretty serious. So from there, we were taken into a labour room. I was hooked up um, to the various machines and monitored. And it was confirmed that I did actually have severe preeclampsia and possibly Mary's syndrome, which is something that you can get when your baby does have high drops. Um, so what happens is if you've got a baby with swelling and high drops, sometimes your body mimics what's going on in your baby's body. And that was perhaps what my body was doing. So it was starting to swell up and starting to get the high blood pressure. Um, and also as well, because of what was going on, it was anticipated that our baby would probably be premature. And so I was given steroid injections. They were able to get my blood pressure, thankfully, under control pretty quickly. Um, however, the concern then changed from me to our baby as they noticed that he had reduced movements and that he just really wasn't happy. And so within two hours, they decided he had to be delivered by emergency C-section. Oh, my goodness. I, I know that feeling when you've, you've got that bad feeling in the pit of your stomach that something's going wrong. But at the same time, you want to convince yourself that everything's fine. And it's that sort of inner conflict that you have with yourself. And you must have had so many things rushing through your head. Because that moment when your baby comes into the world, which you thought it would be, and it, you thought that moment was going to be months away. And then suddenly, as you say, you're in this labour ward and about to deliver your baby. And you must have both been feeling so many things at that time. 
just one of those things that, and it's kind of like you say that you, although you might have a bad feeling in the pit of your stomach, you don't think it's ever going to happen to you. I've never been ill in my life. I've never had anything seriously wrong with me. I've just had minor, minor illnesses that everyone gets. And as I said previously as well, I've never heard of baby loss. Um, so being six and a half months pregnant and being told that we were going to have to deliver our baby, it was just absolutely crazy. And I think in those moments as well, you just go straight into action. You don't think, you can't think in a way. You're just so overwhelmed by what you're being told and what's going on. And I guess the amount of people that's coming up to speak to you as well. And um, also as well, because you haven't prepared for the situation, you don't know what to think. So for us, um, we are quite trusting of doctors. And so we're fully happy to kind of hand over to them and to trust what they were telling us and take their advice. So when they told us that we were having, that it was best to have the C-section, we also warned that it might not be a live birth, and um, partly because Harris was so early, but also as well because of the high drops being so severe, and also that he had reduced movement on the monitors and his heart rate wasn't looking so good as well. Um, and it was actually because of this news as well. Up until this point, we were a bit undecided about what his name would be. We would we were between two different names. My favourite was Harris. I was slightly unsure. Um, but we decided that before he'd be born, we would name him. And that's when we named him Harris. And thankfully, throughout the whole section in the procedure, I had care for my side, which has made such a difference. I would definitely would not have been able to do any of it by myself. So when Harris was delivered, he didn't cry. And I think that was like one of the toughest things that we've been through. Having a baby born silently is just awful. Like everything you see in movies or you hear about or you go to your antenatal classes, they talk about these screaming babies being born. Um, but with Harris, there, there was no crying. We had no idea the moment that he'd been delivered. We didn't know whether he was okay. And I never got to see him as well, which it was, it was understandable that I didn't get to see him as the doctors were doing everything they could um, to help him. But it just made everything just very surreal, very clinical, in a way like an out-of-body experience. It was definitely far from the moment that we expected, that we dreamed of when we thought about giving birth. Yeah, it was just something we never imagined that we'd go through. But it, there was a point in the way it did change slightly for us um, in the theatre. And that was when the midwife, who is just a complete angel we still keep in touch with her now actually and she came up to us and she smiled and she just beamed and she said congratulations on becoming parents and it was that point that made all the difference to us um, because up until then and the few days prior to it as well everything was a medical emergency to us and we forgot that we were having a baby and we were so consumed by all the medical jargon what was going on and all the um, illnesses that kind of the things that were wrong with Harris that we forgot that we just delivered our first child and with the midwife saying congratulations to us it reminded us that despite the sad and frightening circumstances we were in it was actually still an incredibly special moment it was about 12 hours after that actually that I was able to see Harris so it was quite a long wait and um, I had just had a c-section so I had to recover as well before I could go see him um, and there was like nothing that could prepare me for that it was just nothing like I expected we knew he had high drops we knew he would be swollen but he was so so swollen um, because of the high drops his little face was pitted and his skin was leaking fluid. He had towels underneath him to help soak up the fluid that he was leaking. He had so many wires attached to every part of his little body and there was just machines beeping constantly. It's just something you can't ever prepare for to seeing your child so ill. I can understand and I just, I can't imagine just how awful that was for you. You know, utterly horrendous. That picture in your mind of having Harris and your first baby and you know meeting him for the first time as you've talked about earlier in the movies or the experience you see on television and it being completely turned on its head and I just can't imagine how that would have felt for you and I'm just so sorry that you both went through that and and how was Harris following birth 
and I guess after that first meeting him 12 hours after you'd given birth to him, what medical interventions did he need? He he needs quite a few. Um, so I can have start from the start with it. He supposedly he lived for seven days, um, and he spent the entirety of it in the neonatal unit. Like I said, at the start, we didn't know what was causing the high drops. We did wonder if he, if he had Down syndrome, but he didn't have any clinical features of Down syndrome. So it took a few days to have that confirmed genetically. Um, however, prior to this, we realised that he had leukaemia, which everyone was just, obviously us too, just so surprised that uh, pregnancy 28 weeks, a baby at 28 weeks pregnancy um, can even get leukaemia. I didn't even know that was possible. But it does occur in one in 10 chance, one in 10 cases of Down syndrome, and it did occur in Harris. So with his leukaemia, what it meant was that he had a really high level of white blood cells in his body. And what they were doing, they were taking the place of his red blood cells, um, which meant that his heart couldn't pump the blood around his body properly. And this is what was causing the fluid to build up. And not only was it building up um, in his skin, but it's also building up in his internal organs as well and stopping them from functioning properly. Um, I'm not sure if you know many people who have been in the neonatal unit. I know quite a few now. And... If you speak to any of them, they'll all say that your neonatal journey is a complete roller coaster, and that's completely true for us as well. The first few days, they were actually looking quite positive. Um, he overcame leukemia with the help of a little bit of chemo, which was to, for us it was just like the best news, knowing that. Um, and as a result, his high drops started reducing, and he st- his swelling was going down. And things, so things were starting to look a bit positive. And at this point, um, a few days in, it never even occurred to me that we wouldn't be taking him home. I thought we were going to have a long time in the neonatal unit. I thought we might be there for a few months, but I genuinely thought that our baby was going to be the one that people would be reading about, the miracle baby that would be coming home with us. Um, but unfortunately, as I mentioned, it's a neonatal roller coaster and things did take a turn for the worse about midweek. And just got worse from there. Um, his organs started failing. His high drops started increasing again. And he ended up having a huge hemorrhage on his brain in his in the final day. Uh, what I should say as well is the nurses and consultants were amazing. I know everyone probably has different experiences. But for us, we just can't thank them enough. Uh, the consultants, they cried with us. The nurses cried with us as well. They cried with our family. I felt like they were on the journey with us that everyone was rooting for Harris and they really touched the hearts of everyone that you kind of met and I completely trusted them and what they were doing to help Harris in his fight and knew that they were phoning over the UK all over the UK to get advice and opinions from different colleagues and different hospitals to make sure what they were doing was the best thing that they could do for Harris um, also as well, this meant a lot to us. The nurses, when we weren't able to visit Harris, um, such as overnight, they would take photos of him and they would write little stories on the back of the photo of what Harris would get out to in the night. And this is something we really looked forward to in the morning when we'd come down. And it was, it was just so nice to hear that Harris had been keeping an eye on the nurses or that he got really annoyed that someone tried to change his nappy. Um, it kind of like normalised things a little bit for us as well um but we we did start it was, it was obvious that Harris was starting to get worse um things had turned a bit downhill for us and he was actually getting really ill again and it was at a point that like I say we trusted the nurses a lot and we asked one of the nurses for her thoughts and it was when she told us to hope for the best but prepare for the worst at uh, worst which was what made us realize that our future with Harris wasn't going to be what we really hoped it would be and it was the kindest way of telling us and preparing us for that in the end we actually had to make the the decision to turn off the life support machine we had a lot of help and support from the doctors we obviously took their advice and to us as well it was clear from Harris that that it was the fairest thing to do um it was obviously like the toughest decision we've ever had to make in our life and probably will always be the toughest decision that we've made it's something as well um 
that it still haunts us. It's something I don't really like talking about. I don't think anyone ever wants to say they need to, they had to turn the life support machine off for their own child. Like, how can you ever make that decision? Um, it really was a horrific decision we've had to make. But on the last day, uh, last day with Harris, the hospital did everything they could to make it special for us, and that did make things a little bit easier. Me and Kev, we actually always refer to it as uh, the best worst day, and it, it truly was. It was a almost special day with Harris, but it was obviously the worst day because um, it was the day that we said goodbye to him. Um, but what they did is they organised a photographer who took the most incredible photos of us with Harris. It was so special. Not only was it the only photos that we had as a family, but in those moments as well, we forgot what was happening. We were smiling, we were cuddling him. It was our first cuddles with him as well, up until that point, because he'd been so ill, we weren't able to cuddle him. But we were able to cuddle him for the photos and they were really so special. The really the moments um, that they captured is just something we'll always cherish. Um, also as well, they said that we were allowed to phone our family because up until this point, only our parents could come in to see Harris. Um, so we were able to phone on all our family to come in. And so my brothers were able to come in and meet Harris for the first time and say goodbye to him. And we were definitely bending the stools a little bit as I think we had about 30 family members packed out in the family visiting area. But that, again, that's something I will always be thankful to the nurses and also the other families in the unit for letting us do, because I'm not sure if if we were meant to do that or not. Um, but it, it was just, like I say, it was just something that meant a lot that all of our family could come and meet Harris and just say goodbye to him. Um, and we needed them there as well for what we were kind of going through. So when the time came to say goodbye um, to Harris, it was me, Kev, and, and his favourite nurse who were standing just talking to Harris. And he opened his eyes. He just opened them so wide. And he just gazed at us. And they were the biggest, bluest eyes. It was so big. They just looked at us all for a few seconds. And we all just gasped. We just knew that it was that moment that he was taking his one last look. And that was him telling us that he was ready. Um, and that, that that was our time. Um, so in the end, there were eight causes of death on his death certificate. So he really was a little warrior. There, It's just hard. There's just no words for that. It's just completely incomprehensible to think that that should have been the time that your family were meeting Harris for the first time, not having to say goodbye to him. And as you said, was that the first time that you got to hug Harris on that on that last day before he passed? Yeah, it was. Um, he was up until that point, we weren't able to touch him. I think there was one point they might have encouraged us to stroke him through the incubator that he was in. But to be honest, we were terrified. We didn't want to introduce any bacteria to him. But also as well, his skin looks so sore. Um, but it was, yeah, it was that moment when we had the photos on his last day that we were able to just lift him gently out. Um, he still had all his wires attached. But yeah, we were able to cuddle him and have the photos of it taken as well. Just special, special memories of something, as you say, that was the happiest, but saddest day for you and uh, it's lovely to talk about him and the way the nurses wrote little stories on the photos of Harris and I think it's that human element that you really appreciate like these people are strangers to you but they understand what you're going through and they're doing these little simple things lovely things that trying to make this awful experience just that little bit better for you guys and what are your memories of Harris you know tell me Tell us about his wee character and what you cherish most, I guess, about those seven special days that you had with him. Do you know what? Every day was so special. Um, and as you mentioned, it was seven days. But to us, it was it was also a lifetime. And I guess it was his lifetime. And the nurses actually really helped us to bond with us and kind of make all those days special. So initially, we didn't really know what to do when we were around him. And it sounds a bit silly, but we would tell him stories, but we found we'd run out of things to say to him and we were scared to touch him. We weren't able to hold him or change his nappies. 
Um, but then one of the nurses suggested to us that we should read to him. So we got a few books and we started reading to him. And it was actually one of the best things, though it was the best thing that we've done. Um, we'd watch his monitors respond to our voices. So we'd kind of go through the stories and we'd change the picture of our voices and, and see how we'd respond. Um, it became a really special time for us to read to him and also as well it normalized the experience a little bit it made us forget that we were in the neonatal unit with a sick baby it made us just think actually we've just got a newborn baby that we're reading to so even I guess once he passed we still continued to buy special books for him and still continued to read to him just because we felt that that was our connection um, and it was just a very special way of us like, interacting with him um, and being able to feel close to him. And we still read some of the books actually now to um, to his siblings. So his favourite books were the Dr. Seuss books. Um, and so they continue, I guess, to be a favourite of ours to still read to him and also to his brother and sister. I love that because reading is such a special and beautiful bonding activity that you do with your child it's like a sort of milestone and it's one of the best things you can do as a parent and I just love that you continued that on with your other two little two little ones and I was going to ask you do you still talk to Harris now and if you do what what do you talk to him about? Um, We do still speak to him but I guess it is in different ways. So as I mentioned, we do have two more children since we've had Harris. And we tend to speak to Harris with them. So our eldest, our daughter, Ailey, who is two, um, she knows that Harris is in the stars. So and this is really sweet. When we open the door at night time and she's going to bed, she likes to say good, good night to the moon. So she'll say good night to the moon and she'll say good night to the stars and then she'll say good night to Harris. Um, and we've also oh, got so it is really sweet it means a lot to me actually there's a memorial bench that we've got locally as well um, and so we'll always go there um, almost every day and we'll say hi Harris um, if we're there with the kids and if I'm there by myself I will take a moment to reflect but I'll quite often reflect out loud as well and just speak out loud to him about my day or um, if I'm upset, I might just ask how he's doing. Um, we don't speak to him in the way that we did when we were in the neonatal unit, um, but we do still very much speak to him in a, in our own way, I guess, and in a special way with Ailey. That's really lovely. And I think one of the things, as a couple, you're both sort of dealing with grief in your own way, but obviously collectively too, and how did you and Kev support one another? It it must have been so hard going through it all and trying to support each other when you're feeling so sad and rubbish yourself. Did you find that hard as a couple to navigate? You know, it's, and you might have experienced this yourself as well with your losses. It's so difficult to support someone else when they're grieving, when you're hurting so much yourself and you really want to be able to support them as much as you can, but sometimes you just don't have it in you or you just sometimes don't have the energy. Um, I remember at the time, a lot of people were worried about Kev and telling me that they were worried about him. And it, it would just break me because I just felt like I couldn't do more to help him. But in actual fact, I think with me and Kev, at least, we just, oh, the best help for each other was just to be there for each other. Um, we were quite different in the ways that we grieved. Kev was very much a heart on his sleeve type of person and he was quite open with his emotions. Whereas I tend to hold mine in a bit more and grieve away from people um, kind of by myself. But I was always able to grieve in front of Kev. We've got a very open relationship. We always chat, I guess, about our feelings. Um, and this really helped us that we felt that at any point we could just talk to each other about how we were feeling um, or just have a cry to each other and hold each other and cuddle, cuddle each other as well. Um, and I guess one of my darkest memories from it all as well was in, uh, since spoken to other people who've been through similar and uh, they found that they went through this too, is that the nights were so dark 
um, in the first few months after baby loss. And quite often one of us would wake up crying in the night and just having Kev there to hug me and tell me everything was going to be okay um, or that he understood what I was feeling just really helped and vice versa as well. So it might be one night that I'd be the one that would be breaking down and then the next night it'll be Kev that'll be the one in tears and I'm just going to be there just to hug him and just let him know that I'm, I'm there for him at, at any point. And that was kind of what was all we needed, I guess. Um, something else that really helped us both was we decided to go away for a couple of weeks. So after Harris's funeral, we took the dog and we just got a cottage in the middle of nowhere um, and Kev would drag me out for walks during the day and we would just sit and kind of watch TV or do puzzles. But what, what that meant we were able to do is just shut out the outside world and just sit in a bubble with just me and Kev and just grieve together without worrying about anyone else. Um, we'd messaged our family just to tell them that we are, we are okay, we're sad, we were hurting, but we were fine and we will be in touch when we're able to. But for that moment, we just had to have each other. We just needed silence from reality, I guess. Um, and just to live in this little bubble where we could grieve, grieve together and I, I guess just cry. Um, I, I think as well, I would say that we are also still grieving and perhaps we always will be even going through preparing for this podcast. Me and Kev were talking about it earlier and we both shared tears together. It's something that Lowe's going to do, kind of share tears over Harris, but also as well, hopefully we continue to share our happy memories about Harris um, and just know that we'll always be there together to get each other through it and have a hug. Yeah, because grief isn't linear, is it? Like something like a song or a book can sort of trigger you and bring you back to how you felt. And, and you don't want to forget. You never want to forget them. And by grieving for your babies, you're remembering them and, and you're loving them. So that's completely natural. But I I really love how you took yourselves off as a couple and had that time together to shut out the world and, and just feel how you felt as a couple, you know, losing your, your son. And I think that's great to have that time to reflect because I think sometimes people can sort of project their own grief onto you, understandably, because everyone is sad. But actually, at that time, you both needed to feel how you needed to feel to take on that moment, losing your baby as the mother and father together without taking on anyone else's feelings or emotions at that time. I think you're totally right with that as well, because something it's not just us that have lost our son. Our parents have lost their grandchild and they're also watching their own children grief uh, for their missing, for their lost baby. and so as much as we appreciated people checking in on us, in a way we just couldn't cope with anyone else's grief at that point. Um, so just being away from it all and just able to focus on us for a little bit just actually really helped. Um, and it, we, like I said, we really did appreciate everyone checking in on us, but we just needed that little bubble for a couple of weeks to help us through. And what would you tell others going through this absolutely horrendous pain and loss? Is there anything that helped you or is there anything you wish you'd known to help you cope with losing Harris? Um, actually something that you've just mentioned is where you say you don't ever you don't ever want them to be forgotten and that was a massive fear of mine. I remember in the early days my my whole day was consumed by thoughts of Harris. Um, I had the physical pain of recovering from a c-section and I remember being terrified of losing my bump which actually went down pretty quickly because I was only got to six and a half months and I just didn't want all the signs of Harris to disappear I didn't want my c-section scar to disappear I didn't want my bump to go away I didn't want people to stop talking about Harris Um, I didn't want him to not be part of every minute of every day of our lives Um, but actually what happened was this obviously did change and it happened so gradually that I was in a way that I was comfortable with um so for anyone that kind of thinking similar that maybe one day the baby would be forgotten um that's never going to be the case 
things will change and you might be thinking about them maybe kind of more in your thoughts rather than out loud um but you still be thinking about them all the time and your friends and your family will still be thinking about them all the time and I, I still get messages from friends that I perhaps won't speak to um daily or anything but they still message me maybe like once a month saying oh I saw this and it reminded me of Harris so I just kind of wish I knew that at the time that Harris actually would never he won't ever be forgotten um something else as well which I found difficult to handle at the time and again I wish I knew was when you lose a baby you still get maternity leave so you're still entitled to your full year's leave but you're thrust into a situation where you've gone to maternity leave, but you don't have your baby with you. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what was expected of me. Um, I thought people would be expecting me just to get back on with life, um, to go back to work. And this wasn't the case at all. Um, there was no pressure for my work to return. It was made clear that I had to return once I felt comfortable. But I did put pressure back a lot of pressure myself to get back into kind of a normal life um but that's not the case your life has changed you have had a baby you need to take the time um no matter how long that is whether it's kind of two weeks or whether it's a year it's obviously going to be different for different people um but it's okay to take as much or as little time as you you need um whatever suits you to get get through it and do what you need to do um, even if you don't know what you need to do for the first few months, like just take the time to think, to grieve, and then figure out, figure out from there. Um, you also you also mentioned as well, kind of what helped us cope going through loss, and um, I think actually this is why it's so important to have a podcast like yours. When we initially lost Harris, finding help and support was quite difficult um we did feel very much alone we didn't know where to look um I was getting physical checkups from a GP but in all honesty it felt like it ended there it it didn't go on to the mental health side of things um I didn't know what support there was for mental health and uh, no one reached out to Kev as well which I found quite difficult because he was going through as much as I was going through he was hurting as much as I was but no one was checking him to see if he was okay. Uh, thankfully, we did. Our midwife was amazing, um, and she was a huge support. And she told us about Sands, which is the stillbirth and neonatal death charity. And so we got in touch with local Sands charity, and they've just been absolutely amazing. Um, we connected with people who had gone through similar losses to us, people who are similar to us as well um, and the first time we went to the meeting they just let us talk and talk about Harris which was exactly what we needed they gave us cups of tea and they just listened um, they asked questions about Harris as well they um, they just they were just a complete source of support for us and they have continued to be a great source of support um, not only with Harris and um, on his anniversaries as well, but also when we've gone through our subsequent pregnancies. Um, something I, I would say as well is our, our midwife also did connect us um, to someone who could offer a bit of counselling, which, although it did not turn out to be the right type of support for me and Kev, um, it is something that if your midwife or your GP doesn't offer you then I would really suggest pushing and looking into it because hopefully it could help you and even if you try and decide it's not not for you it's still um, worth having the avenue to explore and um, something else as well and that, that was a huge help for me and Kev which has been able to speak about Harris and again this is something that you mentioned um, in your first episode is not everyone knows what to say and that's okay and some people, everyone will be different as well. Some people may wish to talk about their baby. Other people may not wish to talk about their baby. Um, I guess we're all different. But for us, our friends and family were just incredible. Um, when it came to talking about Harris, they took our lead on it. And even to this day, they'll still always talk about him. They'll still ask questions about him. 
the who asking questions of, um, like you did as well that is personality any favorite moments and that also normalized things a bit for us um, we weren't just a couple that lost a baby we were more a couple that have a baby and that's just perhaps wasn't around so being having our friends and our family just being so open um really really just helped us get through everything um that little bit easier it was just it was just a massive support a massive support for us um, and I think the last thing I would say as well actually around how we coped and um for me not so much Kev but Instagram and it might sound a bit silly but Instagram was a huge source of help for me I'd find accounts that were going through similar and connected with them it made me feel that I wasn't alone and it gave me ideas on how I could cherish Harris's memory how I could mark him in different ways and again it just normalized my experience a little bit it also allowed me to use my own Instagram and give me the confidence as well to use Instagram to share photos and stories of Harris uh, which um, I guess as any parent you're so fiercely protective of your child and of your baby and with us we're so fiercely protective of his memory and Instagram just gave me an outlet to keep his memory going and to share who he was um, as a person and to share his life with other people because he mattered and and that's what you would do normally when you welcome a baby into the world if if Harris had been okay you'd be sharing and celebrating photos on social media and it's really important to do that and and you've gone on and you've had two more gorgeous babies a little girl and another little son but I'm assuming that trying for another baby having gone through you know this huge awful loss and trauma and and grief that that would have been tough to conceive or think about conceiving it must have been daunting and filled with huge anxiety and and pain yeah you're absolutely right about that um so you're right that we've got two two children now our rainbow babies as they're called um we've got Ailey who would have been uh, who was born two years after Harris and then Callan who was born four years after Harris and uh, when we were trying for Ailey it was just such a rollercoaster of emotions um, conceiving after loss it, it's just such an incredibly tough journey so with Harris it just we pretty much conceived immediately um, it took us a month to fall pregnant uh, we had no issues um, and I guess we were a bit naive to it all. We thought it would be easy. Um, and then once we lost Harris, we knew that we definitely wanted more children. Um, we longed to have a baby in our arms. Um, we were told that we had to wait three months um, after a C-section just to make sure that I had recovered a little bit. Um, and then we were able to start trying. But with Ailey, it wasn't as straightforward as it was um, for when we conceived Harris and actually took us about 13 months, which I understand isn't a huge amount of time when it comes to trying to conceive. But every month, just it just becomes so difficult. You become completely consumed um, by trying to conceive. And, and again, as you mentioned um, in episode one, when you're trying to conceive and it's not working, you do become obsessed with the ovulation sticks and it's a crushing blow that you have of negative pregnancy tests each month. Um, and we found that there was a, a massive lack of support for this. Um, we really struggled each month trying to conceive um, our, our emotions around it. <clears throat> We'd quite often kind of get a bit nippy with each other, get, would get upset with each other. And if we spoke to other people as well, we found a lot of people would just relax and it would happen, which, as you know, it's not, it's not how it works. Um, but we did, we were very lucky and we fell pregnant after 13 months with Ailey. Um, but even being pregnant after loss is it was just absolutely terrifying. And by this point as well, I was surrounded by a lot of parents who had lost a child, whether it was early miscarriage, um, stillborn, a baby or a neonatal loss. 
I knew a lot of loss when it came to pregnancies and I wasn't convinced to be honest that I was actually going to take home a baby at the end of my pregnancy I didn't buy anything new for Ailey uh, but what I did do I did cherish the pregnancy um, because I thought it was the only time that I did have with her so it was a very special pregnancy for me um, and then moving on we had amazing care from the midwife and we also consultant led throughout the pregnancy so we had a lot of scans um at one point I think we were having weekly scans just for reassurance for us we also done the harmony test um, and that just gave us it with the harmony test it does a genetic test to see if the baby suffers um I think there's three different syndromes it checks for and one of them was down syndrome and although it would not have made any difference for us and for our pregnancy it would have just given us indication whether we needed kind of more checkups as well so we had that done um for a little bit of reassurance but we had so much support from the GP which and from the consultant which made the pregnancy not easier but I guess a little bit more reassuring for us Um, and we also had a plan section at the end of it just so we could be in control of the birth um my worry didn't quite go away though when she was born um I, I would say it got better once we hit about six months and since having Callan as well my pregnancy with Callan and also the first six months with Callan were a bit more relaxed once once I had Callan and in comparison to my pregnancy with with Ailey um but something else as well and I, I probably mentioned this to you when we were chatting um but something that I don't think I ever prepared myself for was a question of being asked about how many kids do we have and it always blindsides me when I get asked this and it's obviously it's often something that we get asked quite often um it can be from strangers if I'm shopping with Ailey or Callan um it can be like questioners that we're doing for whatever reason um and it's just something I just never know like how to answer do I say I've got three children and um, we lost one of them then go in to explain what happened to Harris and at that point you're watching people's face drop in kind of the awkward silence or do I just say that we've got two children um, and then I've got that internal guilt of not mentioning Harris um, it, it's something that I still kind of still struggle with um, quite a lot to be honest. And I think that's understandable because the thing is you'll want to talk about all three babies because you are a mother of three children. And what I think is totally amazing about you and Kev and why I so wanted you to come onto the podcast is that you've always ensured that Harris is woven into the sort of fabric of your family and forever. And he's always there as the big brother, isn't he? Yeah, he absolutely is. And actually... um so Ailey is she's two and a half and she's really starting to speak just now and so we we speak about Harris to her and our family mention him and talk about him to her as well and we've got photos throughout the house and so recently she started speaking about him too which is so special so if she's singing a nursery rhyme she'll go through all of our names so she'll mention mine and Kev's name and she'll mention Callum's name and our dog's name and then she'll include Harris in the nursery rhymes and it's so nice to see that actually she she won't know and she won't understand the full story just now but she's already seen him as part of her family um, and the little things like I said earlier as well like she'll say goodnight to Harris when she's going to bed and she's got the door open and saying goodnight to the stars and to the moon um, so he'll always be very much part of our family and we'll always have photos up of him we'll always continue to talk to Alien Callan um, about their big brother uh, also as well they've got we always wanted to have a connection between Harris and his siblings and uh, we actually both of their names are connected to him as well so with Ailey she's Ailey Hope um, so Ailey was named after Harris's best friend uh, in the new NATO unit so one of the new NATO nurses and Hope comes from a rainbow of hope 
And with Callan, um, his middle name is Lewis. So the Isle of Lewis and Harris are connected in Scotland. And also his name Callan comes from the Callanish stones, which are found on the Isle of Lewis. So that's something that we really wanted as well. We wanted their names to have a, a subtle connection to Harris as well. Just, just so that they've always got you know, that, that bond, I guess. I really, really love that. And I think it's reminding me that you're all connected, even though Harris is in the stars and near the moon, like, you know, Ailey said, which is so sweet. And there's a children book that I've actually read to my daughter, Millie, um, to, uh, that's called The Invisible Strings. And it's to explain to her when someone isn't here on in the world with us anymore. But it means that you might not see the string and it's obviously invisible but it's there connecting you all together and Harris is connected with you and that string of love. And that's why I think that's lovely that you've managed to do that with your two other little ones. I I haven't actually heard of that book, but I'm going to have a look for it because that's something that we're looking for is just books and ways that we can explain to them how Harris is connected. And we, we do have other ways that we do it. So um, you might be aware that we quite often use a rocket emoji um, whenever we talk about Harris. And um, we've actually got little rockets, me and Kev got little rockets on our wrist. Um, and we've got rocket toys for the kids as well. Um, and actually, the reason behind, I should probably explain the reason behind why we've got a rocket emoji um, for Harris is that the weekend that we found out he might be poorly, we decided to decorate his bedroom. We decided to go for a rocket theme, uh, which is stuck. And he's now effectively symbolised um, through the rocket emoji. And it's, it's so lovely. It's so comforting because a lot of our friends... Um, and, and even people I've only spoken to a couple of times will send me links to things to do with rockets. So it might be hair clips for Ailey or and one of my friends sent me, it's like a rocket you build, um, a little rocket, wooden rocket uh, for Ailey and Callan to play with. We, in his memory, in Harris's memory, we had a bench installed locally uh, which overlooks the river. It is a really beautiful spot, actually, and it's somewhere that we take Ailey and Callan and somewhere that we hope that we'll be able to have them playing um, in the summer. But we've got um, a quote on it from Dr. Seuss, as I mentioned earlier, was House's favourite book. Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And it has a little rocket either side of the quote. And this quote is, is a favourite one of ours. It's one that we use a lot when we speak about Harris. And it just reminds us to cherish his short um, but special life and special time that we had with him. And that although it was the most awful thing that could have happened to us, that there was some light in those dark days um, and to try and focus on those, those good times that we had with him. And I think that's such a wonderful tribute to your special brave warrior boy. And as I've said before, I'm just completely in awe of you and Kevin and that while Harris was, you know, only in the world for a very short time, the memories and how much he touched you and your families and changed your life in a really positive way, even though with huge sadness, he, he lives with you forever. And I really do appreciate you coming on to share those memories of him and give your advice to others with coping with such awful loss. And I, I really do hope that this has helped anyone else going through this trauma and, and in their loss as well. Thank you, Emma. I really appreciate um, being to share his his story and also all the support that you've given me as a friend, um, not just by letting me share his story on the podcast and hopefully by giving support um to others going through a similar journey but also as a friend and behind the scenes you've you've given us a lot of help and support um, and I really appreciate that and right back at you it means a lot to me too your your support Rhiannon and thanks so much again for coming on today thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the hopes and dreams podcast 
I really do hope that you found the episode helpful and indeed hopeful. Check out the show notes for the support services like Sands that we mentioned and do follow us on Instagram and Twitter, the Hopes and Dreams podcast to tell us what you thought or maybe suggest future topics. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.